Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Strap yourselves in because we've got a lot of nonsense and garbage for you this week. We are going to be covering gender ideology driving scientists out of academia, the dehumanization and the robotization of everyday human interactions, vagina caves, and a real-life example of the voice. Allons-y. Colin Wright, the evolutionary biologist that you met on the show, was it last week or the week before, um, when we showed a clip of the Better Discourse Conference. Colin and I were on a panel together with some other panelists discussing the question of whether it was possible to be born in the wrong body. He wrote an opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal that I wanted to share with you because it it shows from the inside, from, from an academic, from a former academic, just how much gender ideology, the idea that we all have a gender identity, that there is such a thing as trans, and that all things gender and all things trans are the most important things in the world. This is not just in the humanities, not just in the liberal arts, the liberal of the liberal, <laughs> of the liberal arts. This is in the hard sciences too. It reminds me of conversations many of us have had over the years with people who've said, oh, don't worry about those young people. It's just a few college kids or they're just dressing up. It's like the emos and the goths and the punks. When they get out into the real world, everything will change, which, of course, was never true. Um, but nobody listened to us. <laughs> not only did they not grow up when they got out into the real world, because, of course, why would they grow up when the people who were raising them, the generation older than them, didn't make them live in a real grown-up world? Those people are in the workforce, too. But it also did not just stay in philosophy and post-structuralist analysis and modern anthropology and English departments. It metastasized, and it's in the hard sciences now, the ones that are you know, have fewer opinions and more actual facts. Let me, um, let me start out by showing you the cartoon that sparked this piece in the Wall Street Journal. So this is a cartoon that Colin put together. And it shows stick figures and a political axis from left to right in years 2008, 2012 and 2021. And back in 2008, it shows liberals and people in the center sort of closer together, conservatives all the way over on the right. In 2012, um, lefty liberals dashing to the left while the guy in the center, which is to represent Colin, uh, the center left, he stays there. And then all the way down to 21, the far lefty is all the way almost off to the left of the page while Colin is still standing there. <laughs> and um, the lefty is a woke progressive who's calling everyone to the right of him a bigot. So it's an illustration of how it has felt and how it has actually been for many people who don't believe that they've changed many of their core principles. And it's expressed most commonly in the phrase, I didn't leave the left, the left left me. Well, yeah, 
That, that's millions of people right now. Who could have imagined in 2008 that you could get fired and professionally blackballed from an entire industry for not agreeing that men are women? But yet that is where we are. That is what's happening. Think about how remarkable that is. I know it's a little bit harder the younger you are. Time, perception of time changes as you age. I'm 47 years old, and I think of things happening two or three years ago that actually happened eight or nine years ago. This will happen to you too. So if you're not yet old like me, you will be. (laughs) But it's easy to forget especially today in 2022, how recent this is. It's, it's yesterday that we were allowed to know things like the fact that men and women are different and that you can't actually change your sex. It may seem like we've always been this way, but we haven't, and we weren't this way yesterday. So then Elon Musk, who is really entertaining me on Twitter, He's really tweaking their noses. I absolutely love it. Elon Musk retweeted Colin's cartoon. And so Colin wrote about this. I'll give you you a few pieces from his essay. Quote, when my cartoon went viral, it resonated with many people and caused dissonance in left-wing media. The Washington Post, Greg Sargent called it a silly chart that has been brutally debunked. His colleague, Philip Bump, described it as simply wrong and an obvious exaggeration. How is it simply wrong? How how is that cartoon debunked, let alone brutally? Colin says this, quote, Debunking a cartoon with a chart is like answering a love poem with a syllogism. Politics and culture, like most of human reality, can't be reduced to data and abstractions without losing much of their essence. And self-styled progressives who love to talk about the importance of lived experience are awfully disdainful of their critics. Mm -hmm. Yep, they are. He goes on. I created the cartoon to help sort out my feelings of increasing political alienation from the left. I'm a lifelong Democrat. I turned 18 in 2003 and have never voted for a Republican. But over the past decade, and especially the past five years, I've watched my party distance itself from the values and principles I hold dear." End quote. Yeah, I've I've said it before. Um, I understand the, the, you know, I didn't leave the left, the left left me. And that that applies to, to me in some in some measure as well, not as much as to some people because I actually have become substantively more conservative. I'm not a conservative in a stereotyped way, but I certainly am substantively more conservative than I used to be. And I'm watching people, I'm watching people go through this process too. Uh, Some of the people who are saying or who have said, I didn't leave the left, the left left me. I'm not going to poke at them or or anything because this this is taken as a provocation, right? To people who are on the left, and I understand this because I took it as a provocation myself when it was still me. You can't poke even gingerly and say that sounds a little conservative because there's an emotional reflex attached to that. The word conservative means dirty and contaminated. 
for people who've been on the left for a long time. And I, I don't mean just stupid people or terrible people. I mean all people. You know, that these emotional associations accrue over time, and it takes time to get past them. He really brings it home in this last one that I'm going to share with you about what has happened to the hard sciences. Quote, I'm an evolutionary biologist, and from 2008 to 2020, I worked to become a university professor. Suddenly, simple truths supported by both science and common sense, such as male and female are real biological categories defined by reproductive anatomy, these became taboo. For my great sin of stating plain biological facts and advocating for civil discourse, I endured relentless smears as, quote, transphobic, far-right, and even a white supremacist. Yep, that's what happens. If you're interested in what Colin has to say, and you should be, he's a good writer and a good thinker, uh, just look up Colin Wright. Um, I believe he's just launched a Substack recently, and he has another project that I was talking to him about when I met him, and I can't remember what it's called, but just look him up and you will find his latest. He would love your support. All right. <laughs> From one nonsense to the next. I looked for the original of this image that I'm about to show you, and I couldn't find it because it's so meme-worthy that everybody's memed the hell out of it. Um, it originally was a straight advertisement, meaning they, they meant this. You know, this is what they wanted to show you. I don't remember if it was advertising a particular product or a piece of clothing or if it was just advertising the ideology of gender. So what I have for you here is, is after somebody's memed it. Let's put it up on the screen. This is an image of, let, let me count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people. <laughs> 10 people who have periods, which is what it says at the top. And these people, these 10 people, are almost all of them, well, let's see, yeah, about three quarters of them are shirtless. They are all wearing white underwear, boxer briefs and briefs. And they all have bright red stains in the crotch of their white briefs. And if you examine the picture rather than just letting your eye flit over it, you notice a few things. You notice that um, that you're to t you're to read these people as men, <laughs> okay? <laughs> men who have periods, but they don't look very manly. They don't look very healthy either. It's because it's ten women. Ten women all of whom have had their breasts chopped off. You can see this mastectomy scars on many of them. Um, half or more than half of them are covered in tattoos. Stop it right now, listener. I didn't personally single you out because you have a tattoo of a butterfly tramp stamp. <laughs> Don't personalize. The, this image is grotesque. It is a gallery of psychiatric disturbance. It's supposed to educate us that women don't have periods, people have periods. Because these aren't women, are they? They're people. And we're supposed to pretend that they're men. 
actually. That's what they want as soon as uh, girls like this get into gay hookup apps like Grindr. They want to... Um, they want to be taken as gay men. They describe themselves as gay men. It's absolutely outrageous. I mean, you know, women have been complaining about this for years. These so-called trans women who think that putting on a skirt and some Kmart lipstick makes them a lady. It's not just restricted to men. These women do it too. I am a gay man. I'm a gay man. You're transphobic if you won't have sex with me. Or when they show up at gay bathhouses and literally write an essay about how they were shaking and crying at not being accepted. I mean, if they didn't know you were a girl before you walked in, they sure do now. <laughs> but it isn't funny. It's not funny. This is, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's grotesque. This simulated blood in the crotch of their underwear. What is that about? It's about shocking you. Some of this is just plain old shock bullshit. Except it isn't shocking anymore. Mental illness on display is no longer shocking. It's expected. It's ordinary. But it is mental illness on display. And, and I, I guess I shouldn't belabor this one too much, but take a look. Take a close look at the expressions on the faces of these young women. You've got a lot of sullen, aggrieved, borderline expression, that, that ornery, challenging, I can't be satisfied and I hate you look. You know what's interesting about that? This, this is what so many of these young women think is manly or masculine. You know, for, for people who say that, that it's us normies who are creating the sex binary, we're binarizing things that aren't binary, they sure have awfully binary ideas about masculinity and femininity. And for young women like this, as for many feminists also, Masculinity cannot have any positive attributes. It is definitionally for them about aggression, taking, and violation. Challenging and threatening violence. That is what masculinity means to them. That's what these girls want to have for themselves. There are all sorts of psychological reasons that can make that understandable, but that's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a distorted view it's a distorted view of everything. It's a, dist a distorted view of masculinity, of femininity, of humanity, of, of, of normal and ordinary psychology. And it reminds me of things that were very familiar to those of us who lived um, as young people in the 80s and 90s when anorexia and bulimia were topics of great public conversation and something that we saw, many of us saw, in a lot of our female friends. And, and, and a few men in high school. I mean, take, take a look at this. I was just looking for images to illustrate this for comparison purposes for the show. Um, and I picked a few that just that popped up on an image search. This girl in the green top. That's anorexia. I think that image, the image is from an article that was talking about so-called pro-ana websites, pro-anorexia. Yeah, it's gross. I don't know how popular they are anymore. Uh, they were a big deal about 15 years ago. I'm sure they still exist, but the same people are still out there, of course. They're just fewer of them are identifying as anorexics. They're identifying as trans men now. Or take a look at the, these twins here in this before and after picture. The before picture is actually on the right. 
and they're still extremely thin, but within the realm of normal, maybe. And on the left, after they become models with their hip bones jutting out, they look like skeletons. These are depictions of somatic and psychiatric ill health, just like that picture of these mastectomized young women and their bloody crotches. There's, well, and, and the, the next one, the last one I was gonna uh, show you here. Arm cutting, huge depiction of um, typical cutting behavior that you often see in, in troubled adolescent girls cut themselves across the arm. That's no different from these women with their mastectomies. It's just a little bit more severe with them. And if you cut your arms, still today, I hope, most caring adults would, would get you some mental health care. They recognize that as pathological, self-harming behavior. Tell them you want your tits cut off, affirm them. Tell them they're healthy. Tell them they're growing towards their real self. And yes, get them some medical help to further entrench their mental illness and permanently somaticize it by taking their reproductive organs out or slicing off their breasts. Next one. This is funny and frustrating at the same time. Like my show. <laughs> Let's listen to this guy tell his story. I'm blind. If you know what those two words mean, you are much smarter than the girl who was screaming at me at the gym. Let me explain. I'm standing there doing a tricep pushdown exercise, and since I can't see, I'm just kind of staring off into space doing my thing. Halfway through a set, I start hearing footsteps that seem like they're coming in my direction, getting closer and closer and closer, until all of a sudden, this wound's right up in my face going, I didn't come here to be stared at. Huh? I didn't come here to be stared at. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm blind, I say to her. Her response? I don't care, stop staring at me! Huh? She storms off and comes back with the manager a couple minutes later. I reach into my wallet and pull out an ID card from the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind and explain to this guy as well, I'm blind, I wasn't staring at anybody. <laughs> he says, okay, but you still can't make other gym members uncomfortable by looking at them. <laughs> okay, it's funny, isn't it? But there's something, there's a couple of somethings going on underneath here. Um, I was talking about this with Kevin before the show. And uh, keep this in mind, because in the next segment, we're going to talk about the roboticization of human interactions at the store, how people don't actually listen to each other. They're not thinking, they're just repeating phrases to each other. You see some of that here with this not, you know, I'm blind. Okay, but you you know, but you still can't make people uncomfortable by looking at them. Okay, I guess you were not listening. We weren't actually speaking. I'm blind. It's not just that. It is that, but it isn't just that. I think instances like this are an illustration of how we have all gone hysterical whenever there's an accusation of sexual harassment. We snap to it immediately. Yes, ma'am. At least the ones we hear about. I think this is an illustration of the emotional inflation that we have invested claims of, of 
I don't even know if somebody would call that sex. Well, yes, yes. A lot of people today would call unwanted looking sexual harassment. Um, but, but seriously, after you discover that the guy's actually blind and he cannot see you, so he could not have been doing what you thought he was doing, that wasn't good enough. You had to go get a manager and the manager actually took this seriously. Ridiculous. Do me a favor, friends. Would you share our show on social media? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever else you're using. TikTok, which I'll never have an account on. Really helps. We appreciate the word of mouth. See you after the break. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. You know, cosmetic companies are always trying to get men to be as insecure about their appearance as women are, but it's an uphill battle because most of them aren't going to be persuadable to buy as many products as as they can usually get women to buy, except if they're gay men. If you're going for gay men, advertise to them exactly like you would to women and they will buy all your powders, potions, serums. Trust me, I know. Um, but, th- but it cracks me up when they can't quite go all the way there. So I'm gonna give some marketing advice to this company. <laughs> um, Kevin, can you put that on the screen, please? Our makeup guy. Look at this dude. All right. He's, this is, this is an ad. <laughs> mm, this is an ad for concealer. Now, for you straight boys out there who don't know what concealer is, um, that is the spackle that lives underneath my eyes to paint out the bags as much as possible. This is the stick or the little brush that your girlfriend uses the next morning after you guys have a long night out at the bar and she's got dark circles. That's concealer. But of course, you can't sell concealer to men, this company believes. So they're calling it... (laughs) Sorry, got to get borderline glasses. War paint for men. Get all our best sellers with the award-winning set to discover your new confidence. You know, the kind that we're trying to destroy right now. <laughs> and they've got this guy with a brush, um, you know, on, basically it's a picture of me 25 years ago and 30 pounds lighter and better looking. Um, <laughs> this is my people. This is what we do, okay? I looked at that and I thought, Nelly, that's makeup. Sweetie, that's just make. It's not war paint. It's makeup. Maquillage. <laughs> and look, there's a place for makeup on men. 
that place is right here. <laughs> when you go on camera, seriously, everybody who goes on camera needs makeup, boys and girls. When you don't wear makeup on camera, you don't actually look like yourself in the same way. And sometimes you don't look like a person. You look washed out. So I got a full face of slap on. But men, this is not for real life. This is not a daytime look, boys, okay? Um, it, it's, it's really not. I've done it when I was much younger. And now I know why everybody was sniggering. <laughs> Here is my advice for grooming for men. I think I may have said this on the show before. Well, I'll just repeat it anyway. This is what you do. First of all, men, no dyeing your hair after age 25, age 30 for gay men. We get an extra five years. Those are the rules. Don't question me. No jewelry or minimal jewelry. Wedding band, watch, no earrings. No, no earrings, no bracelets, and for Christ's sake, no necklaces, let alone chunky gold necklaces. You are not Tony from the pizza shop in 1978. Tony from the pizza shop in 1978 wasn't even real. Um, so there's no dyeing your hair, no jewelry, no makeup during the day. You get to wear makeup on TV and that's it. Solid colors, conservative cuts for hair and for clothing. That's it. I'm sorry, men. Believe me, I know your pain. I want to walk around some days in a great big Marie Antoinette wedding cake dress, but I can't get away with it. So that's just the way it is. And you can't be a lady either. All right. Let's talk about social media banination. You, you guys know that um, we lost our show account on Twitter because we were bad and fomented violence against protected categories of people, except we totally didn't do that. <laughs> Last week, my personal account, we have a new show account, as you know, at Disaffected P, the letter P. Do you like how I got that promo in there, Kevin, without you even telling me? But my personal account, where I have the most fun, I got a seven-day suspension again last week for calling myself a faggot. I need to be protected from myself and I need to not be allowed to target myself with harassment based on my protected characteristics. Excuse me. Of course, that's ridiculous enough. But what can explain this? And here's an image of a Twitter mutual, Kent. Oh, you know, I, I'm going to embarrass, Kent, I'm going to embarrass myself and try to pronounce your last name without knowing how to do it. Kent. Ona Frychuk, you'll correct me later. So this tweet got him a seven-day suspension. And the warning is you may not promote violence, to, violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. Because to do so is violating rules against hateful conduct. Here's what Kent wrote. It's a response to somebody. I'm not sure of the context. It's pretty inviting to just dismiss those people as stupid white trash and such. But lots are just blue collar people who don't feel part of Canada anymore. There is a laptop class and a blue collar class divide. Whether people see it or not, that's why populism happens. 
What's hateful about that? What's threatening, harassing? What, what is it? Can you guess? Well, I'll tell you. Twitter has an algorithm that specifically picks up on the phrase white trash. I'm shocked that they actually do, to be frank with you. Because normally they allow any denigration, any denigration of men or white people and especially white straight men is absolutely allowed. No, not allowed. Encouraged. They deliberately turn a blind eye to it. You can say anything you want if you're a person of color or a person of queer, uh, as long as you're aiming it at white men. So I'm actually surprised. I, I don't want any of these filters on here anyway. I don't believe in this. I don't believe that social media has any moral duty at all in any universe to protect us from hateful speech. As, as far as I'm willing to go in a social media company is they should not allow people to threaten legitimately threaten other people to literally incite violence. And I mean incite violence under the reasonable person standard that courts recognize, not, uh, not Tumblr's reasonable person standards, which is an oxymoron. That's as far as I'm willing to go. You can't incite, you can't defame, or you can't libel somebody. And, and I mean U.S. libel, not U.K. libel. <laughs> I don't believe that they should be doing this at all anyway. And I don't want to hear it from anybody who says, I've been subject to so much abuse. Okay. Happens a lot. I know it's unpleasant. That's what the block button is for. Okay. Exercise it. So it's white trash that got Kent put in the Twitter clank for a week. And on an old account, I got a 12-hour suspension once for using the term white trash. I don't remember if I... Well, I was probably calling myself that because I do it all the time. As you know, I come from the trailer court. This... We're not actually communicating with people anymore. We're not... This is not communication. This is interactions with literal robots. Algorithms are just robots. They're just little pieces of software. That's all they are. They don't understand context. They're not supposed to. Twitter doesn't care that they don't. They've outsourced decision-making to algorithms. So we are actually having interactions with robots that make stupid choices like this. And then Twitter can tell itself that it's helping uphold community standards. Well, you know, there are consequences of living in a world run by machines and robots. We human beings start to become the machines and robots. We start to think, think in algorithms. And of course, you know, yes, I understand that, that there are mental algorithms. Algorithm is not something that applies only to a computer. I do understand that. But we begin to think this way and we begin to modify what we say and how we say it with these rules in mind. We are adapting we're adapting, we're, the Borg are coming, right? You know, we put them up on our view screen and they're all like, we are the Borg. Your life as you know it is over. You will adapt to service us. Prepare to lower your defensive screens. Your biological and technological distinctiveness will be added to our own. Just hurry up, you know, right? So the Borg come along and it's like Captain Janeway's like, oh, okay. Well, let me just tidy up a little bit before y'all come over. <laughs> 
<laughs> we do it to ourselves. And 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 it shows up in it shows up in in the way we transact business. Really simple business like getting gas at a gas station or my favorite the grocery store. Have you noticed how many hoops today we have to jump through when buying a product that we did not have to jump through 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Think about this. How many alleged choices are thrust in front of us that we have to say yes or no to before we are allowed to actually buy the product that we came in for? It happens slowly. And as things happen slowly, we are frogs. We don't notice the temperature of the water as it comes to a boil. And this has happened to us. I don't think a lot of us, well, actually, I do think a lot of us notice. One of the things that's, uh, one of the things I do, I, 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 compared to most people, I tend to notice these things earlier and I start squawking about them earlier. But other people are seeing them too. And I know this because when I start talking about it, all of a sudden a bunch of people say, oh my God, I thought I was the only one who was thinking that. A lot of people are noticing this too. So I'll give you an example from a drive through I'll try to spare you the grocery store this time. Um, and... I guess I probably don't have to say this. I often say it when I when I try this stuff out on social media, as I very frequently do. I, Twitter is is often a first draft for what I want to talk to you about here on the show. Um, I, I said to people on Twitter, here's a disclaimer before you go any further. Yeah, I know you think I'm complaining about something small that doesn't mean anything. But what I would say to you is, no, I'm not. Yes, it's small. But yes, it does mean something. And keep in mind the concept of cumulative effect. It's different if one little thing happens in a week, that's a small thing that doesn't matter. When one little small thing that doesn't matter happens four or five times in a week or happens in most transactions, it starts having a cumulative effect. All right. It happens with automated transactions like buying gas at a gas pump. So you stick your card in, first thing says, is this a debit card? Please, I wanna to say to the pump, pump please. You know it's a debit card because you have a card reader. I stuck my card in there, you know exactly what that card can do and what it can't do because you're reading the chip on it. That's, that's how this whole electronic, it's your breakfast, that's what you eat for breakfast and lunch. Pump. <laughs> And you have to press yes or no. You know why they do that, right? They know, it's a, they know it's a credit card and a debit card. They're asking you because they know that reflexively, you're, you're going to push yes because you want to answer truthfully. And they want you to press yes, it's a debit card because then they don't pay the credit card fee of 2%. You pay it if your bank charges you a per debit transaction fee as some banks do. That's why they do it. It, yes, it drives me crazy because, because they're pretending they don't know whether it's a debit card to take advantage of your, your reflexive yes. Ugh. Ugh. Doesn't this make you angry too? It's the dishonesty. It's the lack of transparency. It's the nudging. It's the manipulation that I don't like. 
I understand that they don't want to pay a 2% fee. I get it. But you know what? Never mind. Let's move along. <laughs> but it doesn't stop with that. You get sign up for this gas station's credit card, yes or no. You're still not allowed to pump. This is your second question. Round up for charity, yes or no. That's question number three. Yep, this has all happened on one pump. And then, my absolute favorite, watch this ad on the television screen that is embedded in your pump before you may begin fueling. Of course, they don't say that, but that's what ends up happening. <laughs> all of this just to get some bloody gasoline. It also happens in person-to-person -person transactions when you're actually, well, when you're allegedly talking to a person. Do you have a store discount card? No. Do you have a store credit card? Want to pay with a store credit card? No. Do you want to contribute to the food bank? No. Do you want to round up for charity for homeless dogs? No. Oh, and that too? That manipulation really gets me. Forcing cashiers to orally ask you in front of everyone whether you want to donate to charity. Specifically taking advantage of the social guilt effect. Manipulative bullshit. Do you want a receipt? <sighs> you know what I want? I want what I had in, well, hell, 1988, when I could just walk in. No, actually, it was more like 1990, <laughs> when I could just walk in to the AM PM Mini Mart on my way to high school in the morning buy a pack of Marlboro White 100s, no ID required, a Diet Pepsi, Vivarin, and Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, which was my diet in high school. And all I had to do was hand them my cash and they told me to have a nice day. That's what I want. Just return my greeting if I say hello to you. Please say hello back to me, that's all. You don't even need to smile. Take my money, give me the receipt, and have a nice day. But you can't speak like a human to clerks anymore. They literally don't listen to what you're saying. The only thing they're thinking is repeat the script, repeat the script, and they're being told to do this. I understand that. Here's an example. Here's another example from the drive-thru. Drives me nuts. So it's me and the drive-thru person. Hi there, I'd like a double cheeseburger, please. That's all, no other items. Thank you. What do they say back? Anything else with that? No, as I said just one moment ago, no other items. Thank you. What size meal with that? Mm. Okay. Now we're going to go to the Department of Drag. God, I really went on with that. I'm going to run out of time here. Okay. Taco Bell and drag. Here we go. Kevin, let's take a look at the Taco Bell drag brunch to show our audience the uh, glamorous fun and prizes. So <laughs> you got a big drag queen head underneath a disco ball that looks like a, uh, a silver plate cover. It's drag brunch at Taco Bell. And let me tell you, I would drag show the hell out of this. You could have me organizing drag brunch at Taco. I would do a fantastic job. It's like, for example, this is Taco Bell. You have to work that into a Broadway musical. So um, 
I would have the drag queen standing on a fake balcony, the balcony of the queso rosada, and the crowd would be singing, gordita, gordita, gordita. <laughs> and the queen would sing, it won't be cheesy, you'll think it's plain. <laughs> Someone at Taco Bell knows this because some camp homosexual is behind this. I just know it. There's a story about this. Here's what they had to say. <laughs> Each show will be hosted by the fabulous drag performer and taco extraordinaire, Kay Sedia. <laughs> Kay Sedia. <laughs> And feature performances from local queens and kings that will transform any morning from mild to fire. <laughs> I know that's right, honey. According to a recent press release from the largest fast food Tex-Mex restaurant chain. They called it a Tex-Mex restaurant chain. Chain. Uh, uh, this is a story from ZeroHedge.com, by the way. But see, now, this is how drag used to be, you guys. Fun, sometimes body fun, but just absurdist fun. It was not necessarily super lewd and super political and super inappropriate for, it could just be fun. But everything now has to be serious and uplifting. So, so here's the bullshit from their press release. Quote, as a brand that brings people together, the Taco Bell Drag Brunch experience is rooted in celebrating the LGBTQIA plus community and creating safe and welcoming spaces for all, the press release said. Oh my God, shut up. It's just a dude in a frock having fun. It's not that serious. Listen to this precious nonsense. Quote, Taco Bell Drag Brunch was concepted by Live Moss Pride, Taco Bell's LGBTQIA employee research group, which has played a major role in driving awareness of and meaningfully supporting LGBTQIA plus communities, both within Taco Bell and the communities we serve and operate in. Taco Bell Global Chief Brand Officer Sean Tresvant said, Concepted. Did you hear that? Concepted. I hate these people. I guess after that, we can access the learnings from this too, can't we? LGBTQIA plus employee resource group. That's just a circle jerk meetup for blue hairs who don't bathe. <laughs> They leave us with nothing. This is why I'm single-handedly trying to save camp homosexuality, you guys. Somebody's got to do it. All right. I'm going to have to get through quickly. We're going to run a little bit over here, but this is too too good. I have to give it to you. All right. This is from the department of Georgia O'Keefe did it first. And these pictures you're going to see are from my new friend, Holly. Um, I've talked about her before. Look up Holly Math Nerd. She has a fantastic substack. She's a very good writer. You should read it. She was a student at the University of Vermont in the past few years. And I bring you, courtesy of Holly, um, the vagina cape, um, sorry, menstruation tent. Take a look at this. <laughs> so for those of you who can't see, it's a tent made out of red, pink, and purple taffeta 
I mean, it's just it, there's pillows and there's there's it it's it's like somebody's crinolines got out from under the skirt and ran away by themselves. Um, and it says on on the sign to the the vagina cave, all bodies and genders welcome here. Well, what's here? Let's go inside and find out. Open the curtains and go in. So you find yourself inside a gyno grotto. And it really does look like a, like a grotto for the Virgin Mary. And there, what's in here? Well, is there's like an altar. But instead of Mary, it looks... I don't know if those are lungs or maybe they're like ovaries or something. Um, I don't know what they have up in here. But there's a bunch of pictures of what are probably like witches they couldn't burn dancing around. And a bunch of thank you cards probably to Planned Parenthood. Um, and if you didn't understand what you were seeing, they have uh, a helpful guide to the, the 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 formal name, the Detox Vulva Shelter. And I know you can't read this on your screen, so I slaved away retyping so that you could understand. I'm only going to read you some of it. Here we go. This is from Fab Feminists Against BS. <laughs> Fab is a collective performance group active in Burlington, Vermont. Their creative protests use feminist theory and iconography to imagine and create a better world. One where misogyny, racism, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, and all other forms of oppression are no longer tolerated and all bodies are able to thrive. The Detox Vulva Shelter is a refuge from the current cultural epidemic. Refuge? It's the goddamn Wuhan lab of pussy politics. Please. And they take this detox thing seriously. Next picture, we got some some kind of thing dressed up in a yellow hazmat suit with a gas mask and a sign around the neck that says detoxify. Patriarchy, toxic masculinity, rape culture, misogyny, xenophobia, racism, classism. And it goes it goes on. This thing is literally a list that looks like it's about two feet long. How do you detoxify things that you say are inherently toxic? As if you'd accept the existence of any masculinity that you didn't deem toxic. Oh, my goodness. All right, time for another break. But do me a favor. Do you like our brand of baloney? It costs money. Support us, please. We'd love to have your support. Patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Thank you. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. Before we close you out, I want to remind you, please subscribe to us on audio. We have audio-only content during the weekdays you won't get here. Go to your podcast app. We're on Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, everywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you very much.
giggling when I sat down to do this because I'm looking at my notes and and I, I have a note to myself, narcissist goes here. <laughs> That's not very good directions. It could be any of these 20 pages, couldn't it? You remember a few shows ago we talked about um, a long-form article by a woman who decided to upend her life and split up with her husband and become herself. I'm trying to remember what her name was. I think it was Amanda something. I can see her I can see her face, but I can't remember her name. Well, we got another one. This seems to be a popular genre lately of um, women upending their lives, breaking up their families and, and such. So this is from Australia. And the headline is, Less than a month after I met my soulmate, I ended my 14 marriage by Amanda Trenfield. And I will introduce you to Amanda in her own words. I wasn't expecting a formal dinner with cheerful conference attendees in the beautiful West Australian town of Margaret River to turn my life upside down. I had a good life. I wasn't looking to upend it. Or was I? I decided only the week earlier to attend the three-day event with my husband. It wasn't in the family holiday plan, and we had to arrange care for the children, but I saw it as a perfect opportunity for us to reconnect as we'd become quite distant. I believed that time away from the stress of everyday life was the perfect remedy to reignite our relationship. We entered the magnificent oak-paneled dining room, taking our seats at a long, elegantly laid table. My husband sat to my left and quickly engaged another couple in conversation. As I settled into my seat, I'm sorry, I, 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 have, to, I have to do a voice for this. I cannot read this straight. As I settled into my seat, I looked up and immediately lost my breath. When our eyes met, there was an instant familiarity that ran deeper than water cooler chat. These eyes had locked before. Twelve years earlier, his name was Jason. I hadn't forgotten. Throughout the dinner, I was my usual animated and conversational self. I was, after all, in sales. <laughs> the group chatted happily, all of us enjoying an excellent degustation of West Australian delicacies cooked with attention and pride. <laughs> this is the purple prose and the self-flattery. The magnificent oak-paneled dining room, the elegantly laid table. <laughs> An instant familiarity that ran deeper than water cooler chat. <laughs> to make get more sense out of the back of a Dr. Bronner soap bottle. My usual animated and conversational self. Degustation of West Australian delicacies. Listen to her. Amanda. Honey. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> Read along with me, children. As the entree was served, Jason offered me a sip of his wine to taste the robust old vine Shiraz. After a little banter and coaxing, I accepted. Over the course of the evening, my attraction to Jason developed. I soon became aware of his every breath, and I unconsciously mirrored his pace. I caught myself, <laughs> embarrassingly, 
looking at his chest through his slim-fitted white evening shirt. Yes, he had a fit, toned, and attractive body. But was it his chest I was drawn to? (laughs) Yeah, that and some other things. When dessert was served, he offered me a sample of his decadent and oozy chocolate pudding. I declined, but he scooped up a generous spoonful and fed me across the table anyway. (laughs) Oh, take me, Jason, take me. (laughs) He displayed a level of familiarity normally reserved for close friends or lovers. If anyone had been watching us, they would have been at least curious as to the nature of our relationship. <laughs> you know, this woman wrote this one-handed. I mean, you wish, Amanda. No one was curious. They could smell the rut on you from the front door. Okay? Please. People have noses. So fast forward. There's, oh, there's paragraphs and paragraphs of this crap. Now we get to the part of Amanda's life that she's barely mentioned so far. The next few days were a complete blur. I couldn't make any sense of my feelings. I couldn't escape unrelenting thoughts of Jason. I certainly couldn't fathom how I'd resume my normal life. A full-time career in financial services, the care of two young children, household chores, social engagements, being a wife. What did I understand? What I did understand was that the successful, comfortable, and somewhat predictable life I'd spent 20 years building was now of no consequence. I simply didn't care. She's really telling you who she is, isn't she? Wonder what her kids are gonna think when they read this. I mean, I already know what Jason is thinking, poor Jason, but the children. She says, I just met my soulmate. What could possibly be more important than that? (laughs) Less than a month after meeting Jason, having had no communication with him since our time in Margaret River, I ended my 14-year relationship with my husband. Just like that. Let me give you a little more. The woman who had always been so careful, so planned, so organized, and so clear about the path her life would take had just made the most dramatic decision of her life, one affecting those dearest to her, her family. Do you notice how she talks about herself in the third person? She's, what she's doing is, is well, she's doing it badly, but she's writing a character. This is, this is more akin to writing the story of a character. She sees herself as a character that and that she's she's starring in this tableau that she's writing for you. Um, and do you believe that she's actually careful, organized, and deliberate? Or does she strike you as maybe more shallow, flighty, distractible in vain? And she just made a decision affecting those dearest to her, her family. Let's rewind. I just met my soulmate. What could possibly be more important than that? Or 
The somewhat predictable life I'd spent 20 years building was now of no consequence. I simply didn't care. Ah, but your children and your husband are those dearest to you. Got it. Just a little bit more from her. I knew in my heart, in my soul, in the very fabric of my being, Christ in heaven, that I had profoundly changed. I couldn't articulate the feelings, the sensation, the experience. The connectedness I experienced with Jason was at a level impossible to describe. All I knew for certain was that this one encounter in the most unlikely of places, under the most unusual of circumstances, had dramatically altered my life. Drama, 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 step kick, step kick, and your children's lives. And it's, you know, it's hard to know what to say about that because with a mother like this, these children had no chance of a normal upbringing to begin with, even if she hadn't wrecked her marriage. They had no chance of a normal mother in the house or outside of it. They weren't going to have that because that's not who their mother is. And again, it's not, to me, it's not remarkable that people like this exist. Narcissistic people, incredibly narcissistic people. What's remarkable to me is that it is socially acceptable, even commercially profitable, to write these essays and have them published in, in mainstream so-called respectable newspapers. There's always been a genre like this, but it was, well, it was in the naughty section, right? It's in adult publications. The kinds of, of publications that titillate you and let you indulge your wickedness a little bit, right? But this is just in a, in a newspaper. This is just normal. And you know the best part? The very best part about all of this? This was an excerpt from her new memoir titled, When a Soulmate Says No. She wrecked her whole life and then this dude dumped her. <laughs> I gotta hand it to her. She's trying to make lemonades out of lemons. Good luck, bitch. <laughs> All right, we got a couple of couple of little animated features to to share with you. I guess one is an animated feature. I can't, you know, I looked the, when I saw this, I looked up the date because I thought this has got to be a year or a year and a half old. No, no. This woman who who did this, her name is Joni. She put it up two weeks ago. Listen to this. I'm gonna Truth time, how was your vaccine really? It wasn't so bad. It just hurt for a second. One they shove a needle in my arm. <laughs> well, that's a shining endorsement. I think there could be some friends out there scared to get their shot. Can you explain how it works? Sure. We have these cells. We have these cells. That fight disease. That fight disease. Some protect it, some make antibodies. But with this germ, but with this germ, we need to trick. We need to trick. Our bodies with some clothes and won't get sick. So when you roll, roll, roll up your sleeve and you get your vaccine, you're protecting your whole community. 
guy on the train over there. I'll get it for the tourist in Times Square. I'll get it for grandma and grandpa too. I'll get it for the grocers at Whole Foods. I'll get it for the people I don't even know. I'll get it for Broadway. Let's get on with the show. Fauci, you're Fauci, Fauci. Sit on the couch, make your shirt slouchy. My Fauci ouchie. Oh my God. These demented women, these preschool teacher types, these charismatic Christian youth pastor types, I, I don't, they don't seem so much to be creating music or entertainment for children, they seem to be wanting to be the children and and live out their be the child fantasy themselves with children as an audience or an excuse to do this performance. It, it I think this is all about, ugh, it's so weird and gross. Stop calling children heroes for protecting the whole community. This is, it's, it's, I don't even know the word. It's wrong. Children aren't protecting the whole community. Nobody is protecting the whole community. This collectivist nonsense. It is not our responsibility to protect other people from disease. It is our responsibility to make choices that protect our health, not other people. And not children. God, the way children have been pimped through this whole thing is, is, is so disgusting. I'll never forget it. I'll never get over it. Palate cleanser to wind us up today. <laughs> no setup. Let's uh, let's just listen to it. So I'm here to clarify and speak some truths about what's happening with gender affirming care in adolescence. Um, most of the bills that are going through right now aim to limit this care for people under the age of 18. And there's this false narrative that a lot of teenagers are having gender affirming surgery. Most of the teenagers that are having surgery are getting chest surgery. And most of that is happening before 18 because these individuals didn't have access to early enough medical treatment. So using surgery as sort of this false narrative to attack gender affirming care as a whole is not correct. The truth is that by limiting access to medical care with some of these bills, you're actually going to cause more people to need gender affirming surgical care in the future. Oh, sorry, I'm still lip syncing. <laughs> surgery, we need surgery, and clarify false narrative. He's the voice in real life. And I ask you, who does it better, him or me? Leave your vote in the YouTube comments section. Have a great week. See you next time. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now 
and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom Hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected or visit subscribestar.com disaffected.